Welcome to Lunch with Tech Leaders, where we have engaging conversations about software development and cloud engineering with industry leaders and subject matter experts. These episodes are created by the Great Lakes Tech Leaders, an online community of technology practitioners. Please come join the conversation by visiting gltl.rbn.ai. Again, that's gltl.rbn.ai. Now strap in, because we're deploying to production in three, two, one. Okay, well, welcome to the latest episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders. My name is Jason Brown. Uh, I'm a cloud solutions architect with Brain Networks, and I'm your host for today. Joining me is software and data consultant, Tom Kowalski. Hello. And also joining us today is our subject matter expert is Preston Frazier, senior software engineer from the Interoperability Institute. Welcome, yeah, everyone. everyone. Good to be here. Awesome. All right. So in this episode, we're going to discuss uh, serverless security, which is a very broad topic. <laughs> so I imagine we'll probably want to um, even split this up into multiple uh, discussions, depending on, on um, what we end up digging into. Um, but yeah, let's let's go ahead and get started. Uh, so I'd like to kick things off by just talking about some of the more common security risks in um, serverless uh, environments and serverless um, architecture. Um, so yeah, I guess I'll, I'll toss a question over to, to you, Tom. Um, in the context of serverless architecture, um, how can insecure uh, configurations lead to security vulnerabilities and like what are, what are some general best practices to help mitigate the risks yeah so it's interesting right when you just in general just thinking about serverless security um and you know the idea of serverless is there's less that you have to worry about and in, in terms of security right aws has more of that shared responsibility uh on their side and making sure you know things are are patched and and before we jump into your question, right, just uh, a little tidbit on it, you know, move some of our stuff over to, to serverless and uh, running an AWS Lambda. And when the uh, like Heartbleed virus is the exact name, it was like two of them, right? Mm -hmm. um, when that came out, you know, it was, we, we had to patch some of our stuff that wasn't serverless, but, you know, it was nice that we had a team of, you know, hundreds of engineers, you know, AWS solving those problems for us, right? Like while I was sleeping. So um, just, you know, not going to necessarily what, you know, serverless that you have to be aware of now in terms of security, but the the nice, um, you know, what is abstracted away, right, from AWS is is, is another interesting topic that, uh, that jumps to my mind that, yeah, I wanted to get out and talking about. What was the question that you had for originally? Yeah, no worries. <laughs> um, I mean, you basically partially answered it, but um, I want to talk uh, a little bit about how, like, insecure um, configuration of, of the, um, the serverless resources in your environment could lead to some security vulnerabilities. Um, I mean, you, you had mentioned just a minute ago that, like, when things like um, uh, EC2 instances, right, with AMIs that some of which are generated by um, AWS, they they will update these and patch them so that your instances can spin up. Um, but that for, for something that's more 
um, uh, serverless, like you don't have to worry about that as much, right? Because you, you're not working let's say if you're, if you're using, uh, Lambda, you know, you're not worrying about things quite at like the OS level or securing your server. It's more about securing your, um, your functions, right? Like, yeah, I just kind of want to go into that and talk about like, what are the differences there? Yeah. So that, you know, there, there are some things that change, right. And you have to focus on when it becomes serverless and usually when you're dealing with serverless, it's all infrastructure as code. Um, you can't get around it, right. You have to define, um, you know, how it's deployed. I, you know, I guess you can manually do some things, but like you're saying, the configuration plays a big role in what you have, um, set there. So, and then there's different tools that, you can't use out of the box, right? With other serverless security suites um, that can kind of, you know, you know, be an agent and, and looking, you know, in real time, you kind of have to do it more at that level of how is my application defined, right? With that, with the security. And there are other security tools out there that will look at, you know, the configuration, making sure you have the, the least privilege, all things that you should have with, you know, normal, legacy infrastructure um but yeah it is a little different when when working with uh serverless because yeah you do have to look at that uh config more than the just kind of like you know having an agent pass and i mean yeah to just add on to that um i think a a lot of the stuff like tom said is going to be configuration that's deployed uh um and you know, with serverless and other services in the cloud that aren't, quote, serverless because there's a lot of services that basically run on traditional legacy architecture. It's just kind of an abstracted layer. Um, with that, you know, cloud providers like AWS really keep you in the guide rails on, like, OS-level security tools. Um, you get a lot of, you know, ability to manage your network yourselves. There's a lot of network Um you know, there's a lot of network uh, layer things that you can do to really restrict the services uh, in your, your cloud. Um, your virtual private cloud um, is something that, you know, a lot of your services will probably live in. Um, so a lot of the guide rails are there for you. You know, again, like Tom said, uh, these cloud providers are working day and night to find the newest vulnerabilities and patch those so the next time your serverless uh you know architecture system is triggered or hit um those changes are already deployed and your architecture just uses those um so at like a infrastructure level a lot of that's taken care of um application side there's still a lot of the traditional application security that you still need to consider Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And we talked a little bit, I think, um, Tom, you'd mentioned the principle of least privilege, which is just a, a general, um, uh, principle that can be applied regardless of whether it's, um, like a tr- more traditional architecture or serverless, but you know, it's, you know, could, could we, I'd like to, to dive into that a little bit more, just kind of give a brief explanation of, um, what that means and how it looks a little bit differently for uh, something serverless rather than like having servers, right? Because like, you know, if, if I've got a function, you know, I'm not, I'm not uh, whitelisting, you know, IPs, you know, uh, that, that this, you know, server can, can reach out to or that, 
you know, for IPs that can access the server, right? So, you know, things, you know, it looks a little bit different when you're, yeah. you know. Yeah, it does look a little different. Like the idea of traditional infrastructure, you know, kind of like your least privilege, you're kind of narrowing ports and, you know, different routes and things like that, you know, configuring firewalls. Uh, but in the serverless sense, it's, you know, it's really, if we're talking about AWS, it really comes down to the the permissions, right? IAM, the roles, policies, and what they can interact with. Um, and re what's nice about it is it allows you to get really fine grain. Um, you know, if you're using Dynamo, for instance, you can get right down to the the different tables and um, what they can do and access on those those various tables, so that the if if it does become compromised your application there's it's limited to what that compromised application can access and the information you know the black you're limiting that blast radius if you will i agree with that um but i'd also like to say that um with some of the serverless architecture you can apply um i guess in the aws world you can apply something like a security group to um, your serverless resources like Lambda, for example. And those security groups are more on the network level and you even can control uh, what IP and port uh, inbound traffic and outbound traffic can access your, your containers there. Um, and that's something that we actually use often when we're working, when we're connecting serverless architecture to more traditional servers um, say, for example, an AWS, like an EC2 server or, um, you know, a database, we can give the Lambda specific network permissions to connect to those services. So it does uh, kind of corral them a little bit. So they don't necessarily have access to all ports on, say, your, you know, VPC or virtual private cloud that they're sitting in um, or even you know, IPs. Uh, so that security group is something you can even more tune down on the network level for your um, serverless architectures. Yeah, that is a very good point. And, and um, kind of drilling into that a little bit more, I mean, that, yeah, I think by default, when you create a Lambda, um, it's not placed in a, in a VPC at all, um, but you can uh, allow it to run within the subnets of a VPC, which would allow you to, to utilize security groups in that way. Um, right. And maybe yeah. I took an opinionated, an opinionated view very quickly off of that. Um, because a lot of times our architecture, we always keep our lambdas inside of a VPC. Um, but you don't have to do that. Um, that allows you to kind of when you can deploy them into a VPC, you can, I think, have that finer grain network control um, over how they connect to other services in your environment. But right, they don't have to live there. Um, they can live outside of the VPC. And uh, I think that's a more default configuration and easier to get started with and easier to, you know, have access to the internet. Uh, when a Lambda is deployed inside of a VPC, there's a little more configuration you have to do to give it access to the internet plus you know the services inside of your vpc um so i would say you know outside of a vpc starting that's you know default then getting more secure and more fine-grained 
you can set that stuff inside of your VPC. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I would agree with that too, is that you, you definitely want that, that fine grain control, um, and, and placing things into a VPC by like, even though it's not the quote unquote default, like it, it really should be a priority, um, just to, to ensure the, the safety of your, um, or the security of your, your applications. Uh, and yeah, I would like to also um, get, I'd like to hear both of you guys, uh, uh, an example from both of you guys uh, for this next question. But um, like, if you could, you know, just uh, share an example of um, a, uh, a data exposure incident or potential exposure incident um, in, in the past uh, in a serverless application and, and how it could be prevented. Um, I guess I'll just... I'll share uh, a little story um, myself first, but um, I had uh, been working with a client uh, previously that um, had just begun their journey into AWS and were looking into um, expanding their footprint and wanted to um, nail down best practices and make sure that you know they were um, following them to, to ensure the security of their application. So we ended up doing an audit um, just looking at a whole bunch of different factors. Uh, one of these was um, looking at S3 as well, you know, the Amazon simple storage solution, which allows you to place files in virtual buckets, um, not on a server, right? So uh, a lot of the buckets that we found um, were completely open to the public, like not, not actually, um, mm. uh, they didn't have a, a policy set at all. So anybody could just, pull whatever they wanted so um luckily there was no um uh incident in in that in that case um and there wasn't any like you know uh phi data or, or anything like that it was mostly just like dummy test data um but th that's just one of the things that um like a, a potential thing to, to keep in mind you know like when uh working with the these different you know cloud services um the the configuration and and the steps you need to take to to ensure the the safety and security are a little bit different, right? So yeah, I was just curious on on both of your guys' thoughts on uh, on that. Yeah, um, definitely. That was something I was going to bring up too. Is open, you know, cloud storage to the public is a no no <laughs> okay. most of the time. Um, I think there are scenarios where you you want the public to be able to access something. But you definitely need to set up the proper controls um, in that flow. Um, there's other things you can do in AWS to provide public access to your bucket. Um, things like using a CloudFront distribution to put in front of that. CloudFront is basically like a um, caching system uh, that can cache files from S3. Um, it's something you can put a um, web application firewall in front of too. So it's something you can um, you know filter traffic by. Um, and kind of also avoid common um, attack, attacks, such as denial of service attacks and, and stuff like that. So CloudFront in front of an S3 bucket is kind of a solution to, to, to mitigate that kind of problem, but also allow having a public um, bucket. Um, you know, and allowing you to have a, a cert and a, you know, a custom endpoint to your right. Yeah, exactly. It's just the more professional way to do it <laughs> and secure way to do it. Um, so uh, that's kind of, you know, saying what's the solution to your problem. But I guess uh, in terms of an example that I've run into, 
Um, I've seen definitely several several things. Um, when you have uh, obviously unauthenticated APIs are also a problem too. Um, when you're serving up, you know, anything that's unauthenticated and public is going to be a, a vulnerability um, unless you're taking the proper precautions to make it public securely or you need to restrict access to certain people so uh, or certain users. So, you know, unauthenticated API gateways and AWS is a, a problem um, as well as well as just, um, you know, Tom brought it up earlier about the IAM policies on serverless architectures. When when you're allowing all re when you're allowing a service, let's take in a Lambda for example, and you're connecting to a Dynamo table, um, you know when you're allowing the Lambda to say connect to all Dynamo tables that are in your environment versus connect allowing to connect to just one specific table, um, you know granularly defining those resources by name or ID to say, okay, you can only access this specific resource table, not all Dynamo tables. So making sure that those IAM permissions aren't, you know, star permission or access all, you specifically define the resources you want to use. Yeah. And just to note, like, it, it is a lot easier now, like, if you think, like, oh, the granular permissions, like, a lot of the frameworks make it very easy to do um, and just kind of can do it automatically for you. Um, but, yeah, and to, so my experience, I haven't had too much with, like, an open bucket or, or you know, like, a, a data storage, but, you know, just trying to, to think about it, the... The issues that we, you know, always kind of had and we're trying to figure out the best way to deal with, with data in the serverless sense was with logs uh, and getting like sensitive information in logs and, you know, some we sometimes use third-party providers and if sensitive information gets over there, uh, you know, it's it's an issue. So that's that's something that we always kind of uh, had, to, had to deal with and, you know, there's a constant battle of tightening that up, making it useful for the developers um, and, and getting the information that they need, but also, you know, being secure, being compliant, um, you know, all, all the compliance as well, right, of, of not having a PII, um, and then, you know, GDPR, having to be able to delete uh, the information. Not necessarily, these aren't necessarily serverless things, but these are the problems that, you know, I did face uh, when dealing with serverless uh, that mostly were prevalent. Data and logs, sensitive data. Great, yeah. I mean, I think both you guys touched on some really important things that, which I would consider as best practices, just to be able to use um, for in any uh, environment. You know, um, how we how we would implement the uh, principle of least privilege. You know, locking things down, opening up IAM roles, for example, just you know, allowing your function to only access the um, certain specific resources and perform certain specific actions. Um, we talked about um, logging and monitoring uh, and making sure that those are handled securely, like you're saying, making sure there's no um, PHI in, in logs or even errors, like error messages. Um, but yeah, I'd like to dig in a, a little bit more of, of some other like best practices that, that you guys would recommend um, for uh, just in general, like 
uh, what about like handling um, secrets, right? Like like um, credentials and things like that. You'll have Lambda functions, right? That will need to access potentially other APIs or um, other systems. Like what are the some good ways to be able to um, to deal with that securely? Um, sure. Uh, you know, uh, I got to just point out right away, AWS Secrets Manager. Um, again, focusing on AWS here, uh, it's the place where you can st store credentials where they're encrypted, um, either by, um, you know, a default encryption key, or you can have a new encryption key where you encrypt your secret. But the Secrets Manager is another service where you can store those credentials. Uh, no matter what they are, you basically store plain text or, or JSON um, schema and it encrypts it. Uh, and then your services, like say Lambda, you can give your Lambda permission to uh, read a specific secret. So again, you don't have to give it permission to all secrets. You can restrict it down to that one you know, secret that holds maybe your API credentials. And your Lambda then can pull that secret and um, use the credentials to uh, call the API or whatever authenticated service it needs to. Um, so certainly that's the the place to to store credentials. You don't want to be putting them in uh, plain text locations like uh, environment variables um, on a Lambda might be one, you know, gotcha. It's a environment variables are an easy place to store some data that, that a Lambda can use. Um, another place, uh, Another place that is kind of is not so bad is a um, AWS uh, Systems Manager where you can store parameters. Uh, you can store encrypted parameters there. So that is a place where you could store a um, uh, a credential and have it encrypted, um, which would be okay. Um, I wouldn't say it's as good as the Secrets Manager, but uh, that has encryption. Uh, capabilities so SSM uh, systems manager parameters is a place to yeah and just to to go off of that it, a lot of the providers make it very easy what what gets hard sometimes when dealing with serverless and you have you know cold starts and, and things like that it can be easy to kind of architect it where you're always getting that secret right to to access that database so um, in these ephemeral environments like Lambda, other serverless things, gonna have to think about caching more, right? And that that performance, um, yeah. So just kind of like some some tidbits on it. Uh, if you, what's really nice, I'm, I'm excited for, it and hopefully it comes out for the the JavaScript runtime. But the the snapshots, right? Being able to uh, that AWS Lambda has being able to get those secrets, you know, store them in memory, and then being able to take that snapshot of that Lambda function, um, so that you don't have to to get it, and then also, you know, from there, not just the cold start, but also every time it's called, right? Maybe just refreshing it every five minutes, pulling that uh, secret, so you're not doing it every single time. Um, yeah, just something to think about, right? It's a little different in the serverless environment. Uh, it can be really easy to, yeah, call all the things all the time, uh, but then you, you know, you had to get burned on the the performance, right, when doing that. And and the cost too. Yeah, yeah. I call the secrets manager is going to be a cost. So, yep. um, yeah, great point. Yeah, excellent. Um, yeah, 
uh, I also, you had reminded me of uh, another thing that I wanted to bring up too is um, the just to uh, start a discussion about the potential use of Lambda layers as uh, like from a security standpoint. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I like Lambda layers a lot, um, especially for using um, potential libraries like third-party libraries um, that aren't part of like, you know, your, your standard Python library or um, you know, Java or whatever, you know, flavor of, uh, Lambda that you're using. Um, but, uh, I, I do like the, um, the ability to be able to isolate, uh, and then update, uh, depending on if there is a security vulnerability found for that library. Um, and I wanted to hear what you guys had to say as well. I, one thing that I'm not actually quite sure about is like, do are the layers themselves encrypted? Like, could you use something like the key management service to to encrypt those? Like, I don't know if that's possible, um, but yeah, I was curious what you guys had to say about that topic. Yeah, I'm not actually sure if the Lambda layers themselves are encrypted, um, but I mean, to your point, uh, I like putting my third-party libraries in a Lambda layer um, just because it encapsulates those libraries away, I mean, usually 99.9% .9 of the time, you're not going to want to modify third-party libraries unless you have a very extreme reason to. So you, you just want to want to put those somewhere and not worry about them, uh, well, worry about them in terms of if they have vulnerabilities and need to update them. But, um, uh, in terms of Lambda, I like to... I like to be able to see my code. Um, Lambda allows you to, you know, view a certain size of code if you're using Python or Node or another interpreted language. Um, and so having that ability to see that code in the, the console in your browsers is really useful for debugging and troubleshooting. And then you just kind of have these dependencies that are built in a layer. You can't see them really. They're linked there. And um, you know they're there, but... Um, it's, it's more about your code that you've written to see that there. Um, so being able to have a freight, so kind of, you know, looking holistically at the, the scope of your a project that you deploy to a cloud environment, um, it's really helpful to have a tool that can, you know, package your dependencies into a layer and deploy that layer and have that link to your Lambda and your actual application code that you've written. Um, it's helpful to have a framework that does that. Um, you know, something like serverless framework, for example, is one I'm very familiar with that, that can separate those, those pieces. Um, and so in terms of, you know, scanning for vulnerabilities, um, that's, that's important to do. And AWS has tools um, that have something called AWS Inspector which will, you know, run scans on your, your layers, your Lambda code, and um, it can give you the feedback on vulnerabilities with those third-party libraries or not. Um, that's something integrated into AWS. It's a service. There's obviously other services, third-party services that can do vulnerability scanning, um, but that's, that's very helpful to have in AWS and, you know, to confirm that, hey, you have critical high vulnerabilities in your your layer your third-party dependencies that you need to remediate and update those those libraries so um 
you know, you don't have vulnerabilities in your code. And that's something that in AWS that scans consistently or concurrently over time. So uh, it's something you can always check in on. Um, I know that was a lot <laughs> about uh, vulnerabilities, but that's uh, and kind of how a project goes together. But um, yeah, those third-party libraries, you you never know if there's a dependency or not dependency, but you never know if there's a vulnerability with them um, unless you have something scanning them. So that is something that can be done inside of the layer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all great points. Um, I, I do want to note that we are kind of uh, coming up on time here. If I wanted to leave a little bit of room just to to allow both you guys to um, uh, to just have uh, final thoughts uh, on security in general. I mean, it like I said, huge topic. We only really just scratched the surface. But um, yeah, I guess in general, um, Tom, did you have anything that you wanted to uh, say before we wrap up? Uh, you know, it's it's nice that, you know, AWS takes more of that responsibility, but it, it does give you more time, more of a budget, right, to kind of focus on your, your application and your pipeline. Well, I, we didn't even go into that, but that's uh, becomes a, a big factor as well when talking about security that you kind of have to focus on still with serverless um, and, and utilize tools that are out there, Um there, there's a lot of nice ones, right? That'll, you know, the static code analysis, right? Looking for vulnerabilities in, in the packages that you have. Um, and yeah, a lot of generous free tiers out there. Uh, so yeah, definitely leverage those tools in your pipeline to, you know, constantly be scanning your application and, and configuration that you have. Right. Yes, all great points. Um, and Preston, any final thoughts? Um. Yeah, I mean, everything that Tom said is completely true. CICD is a way to standardize your deployments, make sure everything's consistent every time. Um, you know, I think just consistency is the the path to having a stable and secure environment. Make sure everything is deployed the same way every time. Um, you know, it's not like you're managing a server and you can go in and just like change some configurations and it's good. Um, when you're in, in a cloud environment, you usually have, you know, many services to configure and it's impossible to, to do that manually. It all has to be scripted. Um, and it all has to, you know, be, be thought through on, you know, let's only give these things the, the limited number of permissions that they need. Um, that's, that's the best way to go. And, uh, definitely there's, there's a, there's a lot, especially each service, you know, it's going to have different security considerations and um i think constant you know remediation is is a key too that cacd and constant remediation keeping your environment up to date it just practice that and you'll go a long way yep it's a, a constant battle yep <laughs> great points all right uh well uh we are um uh a little over time here but uh tom preston as always, thank you both. It was great hearing from you and, and uh, engaging in some some great discussion with you guys. Um, I also want to thank all the listeners for tuning in uh, to this episode of Lunch with Tech Leaders, and we hope you found the conversation uh, valuable and informative. And uh, we'd love to have you join us again for the next episode. Um, and in this next one, Ray Welker will be kicking off a new series called Infrastructure as Code kind of similar to this series that um, I've been uh, hosting uh, on serverless. But uh, yeah, he'll be focusing on infrastructure as code. 
So as always, uh, episode will feature uh, expert guests and interactive conversations. So be sure to tune in. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Thanks, everybody.